Okay, okay. So say I put my brain in a robot body and there's a war. Robots versus humans. What side am I on? Humans, you have a human brain, but the humans discriminate against you. You can't even vote. We better not have to live on a reservation. That would really chat my caboose. Yeah, but nobody knows you're a robot. You look the same. Dogs know. That's how the humans hunt you. They're gonna hunt me for sport? That's why we have to crush mankind. So you might as well get on board for the big win, Stormy. You yapping about putting their brains in a robot? Hey, what about the league? Oh, Quinn'll save us. Quinn always saves us. Stupid Rocko Fox. Damn! Happy Heresies, and welcome to the Desert of the Real. Welcome to Aeon Bite, and welcome to that clip from the underrated but superb Adult Swim show, C-Lab 2021. As a critic wrote, it's probably the smartest dumb show ever made. It came out early in the aughts, ending in 2005. Meat sacks out there might think it's more recent. Why is that? Because the dialogue has the same lack of logic and hysteric speculation that is common today with the general public. Whether it's social media arguing about human identity or the halls of Congress babbling about societal solutions. It's all become so idiotic. C-Lab 2021 is just as prophetic as Monty Python or the old Simpsons when it comes to satire coming true or what happens when humanity's collective psyche finally cracks under the weight of bureaucracy, social engineering, and propaganda. Mankind is poised midway between the gods and the beasts. That may have been true in Plotinus's time, but clearly we have fallen quite a bit since then. And here we are, you and I, witnessing a world gone mad in this age of Hermes, Philip K. Dick world and Gnostic times. It's only gonna get worse. We live in a society where Kevin Spacey is innocent, where people still clap when a plane lands, and where a recent Pew Research poll stated that most Americans believe that the government should be more involved in censoring speech. Great idea. Let's hand the keys of Gnosis to the Pharisees, as the Gospel of Thomas warns. What's so bad with foxes guarding the hen house? Ah, uh, that's where we're at, in a fevered carnival of the average and a sinking ship of fools. A C-Lab 2021. I have instructed our Attorney General to prepare the appropriate legislation to amend those First Amendment rights that have been so long abused by our country's foes and their unwitting allies among the media elite. No one regrets these measures more than your president. But not you, you shining crazy diamonds. Steiner, Steiner, Steiner said wisdom is crystallized pain, and now you are a gem of so much Sophia. 
You woke up and went through those cleansed doors of perception to see everything as it is, infinite. You chose ecstasy over entertainment. You realize that you can create better than the creator gods and their Karens and Katamites in the establishment. As the saying goes, an artist is not a special type of person, but every person is a special type of artist. You also know that the meaning of life is to find your gift, and the purpose of life is to give it away. You have an incredible gift, trust me, and don't have to linger in insanity like meat sacks in their C-Lab 2021. Your booze mean nothing, I've seen what makes you cheer. Every breath I take without your permission raises my self-esteem. You know, as Ralph Waldo Emerson said, a hero is no braver than an ordinary man, but he is braver five minutes longer. Crush your enemies, see them driven before you, and hear the lamentation of the women. My name is Miguel Connor, your pompadus of gnosis, and I am so grateful you have arrived at the virtual Alexandria for another adventure in spreading your incredible gift to the universe. Once again, I hope to show you the self-evident truths and showcase the tools that make you a hero for much longer than five minutes. But I am telling you right now, that motherfucker motherfucker back there is not real. Let's cross the doors of perception one more time. Let's laugh at this fevered carnival of the average and sinking ship of fools. Let's write our own gospel and live our own myth creating so much wonder and magic. As Tom Robbins wrote, Disbelief in magic can force a poor soul into believing in government and business. Shut up! And as David Graeber wrote, The ultimate hidden truth of the world is that it is something that we make and could just as easily make differently. No matter what anybody tells you, Words and ideas can change the world. Our astral guest is certainly someone who has spent his entire life making a better world. Glad to chat once again with Nicholas Laos, who will be discussing his new book, Freemasonic Enlightenment in the Context of the Modern and Perfecting Rite of Symbolic Masonry. Get ready for ball-tingling gnosis on not just restoring Freemasonry and pulling it out of its crisis, as you'll hear, but also how the ethos of this movement can help you live a more symbolic, mythic, and, yes, heroic life for more than five minutes. Humans need fantasy to be human. To be the place where the falling angel meets the rising ape. You need to believe in things that aren't true. How else can they become? Nicholas starts the interview with an understanding of consciousness, which is very important. As in the C-Lab 2021, humanity is mostly unconscious and thus finds itself in a state of stupidity and delusion. 
Then he'll highlight the issues with Freemasonry and how to fix them. Will our clits explode? But you know it's all about disengaging with a reality that is ultimately broken and going inward. You know that. A symbolic, mythic, and heroic life gets us closer to transcendent truths and the archetypal energies that make us both divine and human at the same time. Grants us the revelations to restore Sophia and Artemis. I quote this in the interview, but let me quote this now because it's so dang important. Carl Gustav Jung, in his book, Psychology of the Unconscious, points out that myth translates experienced reality into a symbolic language, and, in this way, it is conducive to the participation of a society as a whole in the same experience of reality. Since myth integrates all areas of conscious and unconscious life into a common experience of reality. Myths are clues to the spiritual potentialities of the human life. What we're capable of knowing within? Yes. And experiencing within? Yes. I, I liked your definition. You changed the definition of a myth from the search for meaning to the experience of, the experience, of meaning. Experience. Experience of life. The experience of life. Yaldi Baldi knows we've lost our great myths today. Thanks, Hollywood and the educational system. And our societal leaders don't want us to swim in the domains of symbols because then they can't use them against us. Plus, we might gain our magic and not believe in government and businesses, which today are one and the same. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. As the Gospel of Philip states, truth brought names into existence in the world for our sakes, because it is not possible to learn truth without these names. Truth is one single thing. It is many things, and for our sakes to teach us about this one thing in love through many things. The Archons wanted to deceive man, since they saw that he had a kinship with those that are truly good. They took the names of those that are good and gave it to those that are not good, so that through the names they might deceive them and bind them to those that are not good. And afterward, what a favor they do for them. They make them be removed from those that are not good and place them among those that are good. These things they knew, for they wanted to take the free man and make him a slave to them forever. Let me tell you why you're here. You're here because you know something. What you know you can't explain, but you feel it. You felt it your entire life, that there's something wrong with the world. You don't know what it is, but it's there, like a splinter in your mind, driving you mad. The Gospel of Philip furthermore states, Truth did not come into the world naked, but it came in types and images. The world will not receive truth in any other way. There is a rebirth and an image of rebirth. It is certainly necessary to be born again through the image. Which one? Resurrection. The image must rise again through the image. Because humans are complicated beasts, 
You believe comforting lies while knowing full well the painful truth that make those lies necessary. In the end, Connor, it is not important what you think. It is only important what you do. Let us do our interview with Nicholas. Let us swim in symbols, live a mythic and metaphoric life, and rise through those images into true resurrection, which just means encountering our higher heroic self. And let's laugh more at humanity with more C-Lab 2021. years frozen in carbonite it'll be so cold my nipples are hard just thinking about it man i kill myself hello prime directive three damn prime directives i just don't know if i want to live a thousand years even as an adrian barbobot with hard nipples plus self-termination Hey, I gotta tell you, it's a sin in the eyes of the robot church. We don't need Rome telling us what to do. Wait. If we're robots, we'll have mechanics. They could shut us down. Permanently. No, 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 no. Your robot body would go crazy and kill him. With the strength of five gorillas. And then it's right back to the carbonite. And there go my nipples again. And there goes pod six. God, it's so depressing. What? Pod 6 was jerks. No, being trapped in carbonite. Oh, yeah, that. But what if you get a brain tumor? Yeah, a, a big-ass tumor. No, your robot body's a brain surgeon. Oh, that's bunk. It's not going to be a brain surgeon. If it can't break the five-foot barrier, it can't be a brain surgeon. Yes, it can. If Hesh can be a giant tiger bot, well, that's Hesh a little... Hesh is going to stay human. He'll die in the first wave. Unless he's a tiger bot already. It could happen. This is the Aeon Byte interview. And with us, we definitely have the pleasure of being joined again by Nicholas Laos. This time to discuss his new book, Freemasonic Enlightenment in the Context of the Modern and perfecting right of symbolic masonry. Nicholas, thank you very much for coming back to the virtual Alexandria. Thank you very much, Miguel. The pleasure and the honor are mine. Thank you. Honor and pleasure is mine too, my friend. Uh, I always enjoy what you have to say, and it always makes a difference in many of the viewers or listeners lives or their uh, researches and their pursuits but with us too we also have the moondog vance vance how are you doing i'm fine today looking forward to the chat with nicholas and finding out more and more about the very powerful version of freemasonry that he is going to tell us about yes we don't want to just free britney spears we want to free freemasonry and i think nicholas's book does exactly that because I enjoyed it, and it's got so much. So first of all, Nicholas, I wanted to ask more or less a, I don't even want to call it a personal question, just a viewpoint question. But last time we did an interview was before things went uh, strange in 2020. I think it was 2019 around there. So Indeed. the question is, uh, 
how has the pandemic aligned or realigned your views? And I don't mean anything, you know, political or whatever, but maybe how has it changed your worldview or have you had to change some of your ideas on spirituality or society or you're just angry? <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> uh, it was a challenging period indeed and thought-provoking and it urged me to study more deeply into issues related to biology and global affairs as well as i would say several cultural issues and how do you see society at large right direction are we in the wrong direction or we simply need uh we need to again like uh, our viewpoints we need to realign ourselves as a culture to get back on track what would be your state of affairs of uh humanity at large even though as you say your book has lengthy sections on geopolitics uh, an excellent history there's math there's science everything sort of uh all these streams that go into uh humanity's quest for yes enlightenment illumination so yeah again what is your state of affairs since the pandemic is uh, by its very nature a biological issue, issue, let me seize this opportunity to address my uh, response in, in, in biological terms. So from the perspective of uh, human evolution, and if we study consciousness within the context of human evolution, which has become so trendy, I could say that humanity's greatest existential and identity dilemma as a thinking ape, because for biologists, uh, uh, the human being is a thinking ape. So the greatest existential and identity dilemma uh, is whether humans will choose to exist more as thinking subjects or more as apes and how much of each. So this is what I find extremely challenging as an as an object of uh, uh, research and I could say contemplation. Indeed. Well, maybe we're not thinking apes. Maybe we're Plato's featherless bipeds. And uh, so uh, who knows? But uh, whatever it is, these are definitely very interesting times. And what about... Um, I guess you mentioned consciousness is so important. And of course, the pandemic yes. taught me to how important consciousness was, how to go within, uh, how to live more of a life of introspection and speculation, uh, because there are certain things we can control and the things we can control, again, require us an inner strength or an inner clarity to navigate the chaos. So but there's always been sort of this movement to shell consciousness. Tell us, what would you say is consciousness and how can we optimize it as a people? Uh, um, this is a very, very important question, uh, directly related to the core of philosophy, of neuroscience, of biology, of Plato, of course, Platonic thought, Gnosticism, and so on. So, by consciousness, uh, let's take a very basic, first of all, uh, definition. So by consciousness, one can refer 
to that state of an organism that allows that organism to be aware of uh, things that take place within oneself and outside oneself and to be able to understand them and to manage them. So what is very important is to understand that consciousness um, is, uh, is, is uh, directly related to intentionality. Um, consciousness is, is, is essentially linked to, to intentionality uh, through which human beings can um, access external reality and enter into relationships uh, with each other. Um, so it is then very important to, to study what you have just mentioned, the different levels or orders of, of intentionality. Um, in order to do that, let's, let's start with a few preliminary thoughts, if I may. Sure. Uh, the, the, um, the subjective stage of consciousness include uh, beliefs, desires, perceptions, and emotions. Uh, an important philosophical problem consists in, in how to determine the relations between the subjective stage of consciousness and external extra-conscious reality. So intentionality is always directed towards something, and we need to understand what that something might be. Um, starting our investigation from simple cases, uh, intentionality may be directed at primitive biological instincts, such as, for example, thirst and hunger. Uh, hunger is the desire or mental impulse to eat. Eating is the event that fulfills the feeling of hunger. Uh, we can interpret thirst and all other biological forms of intentionality in a similar way. Uh, moreover, intentionality can be directed towards sensory impressions, such as sight, smell, touch, and hearing. Um, in other cases, intentionality can be directed towards objects that express emotional, empathic, and logical mental states. So, first of all, uh, we should understand that intentionality implies referentiality to all those things that I have just mentioned. So, in general, by intentionality, we mean the property of mental states, such as thoughts, beliefs, desires, hopes, and so on, to be directed towards an object or towards some state of affairs. Intentionality gives an external direction to states of consciousness. And in this way, um, I would say it can operate according to a hierarchy of relations ranging from a minimum to a maximum. And here I, I'm coming to the core of your question. The levels of this hierarchy of relations are called orders of intentionality, according to the terminology that was originally developed a few years ago 
by a distinguished cognitive anthropologist, uh, Robin Dunbar. Um, specifically, bacteria and certain insects have zero order intentionality, while brain-equipped organisms are conscious of their mental states. For example, brain-equipped organisms know when they are in danger or hungry. Therefore, brain-equipped organisms have first-order intentionality. Uh, first-order intentionality means that a being is self-aware, consciously referring to itself. However, there are also types of higher-order intentionality. Uh, intentionality can be directed towards the beliefs of other people. So we say that it is second order intentionality. In other words, in, uh, uh, in this case, we can distinguish the orders of intentionality as follows. Uh, most vertebrates can recall their mental states, at least in an elementary way, that is, by knowing that they know. Organisms that know that they know have first-order intentionality. Organisms that, moreover, know that someone else knows something have second-order intentionality. Organisms that, in addition, know that someone else knows that someone else knows something have third order intentionality. So as the number of subjects in the intentionality sequence increases, so does the number of hierarchical orders. Uh, this sequence can reflexively be extended indefinitely but in the context of their everyday life, most people rarely reach intentionality of an order higher than fourth, and they can very hardly rise to the fifth order, that is to the following type of reasoning. And here I give an example, quote unquote. For instance, uh, Miguel knows that Nicholas believes that George thinks that uh, Theodore supposes that Natasha intends to do something. Uh, close quote. So fourth, fourth order intentionality, fourth order intentionality is required at a minimum for the development of literature that goes mere narrative. Because, for example, an author wants his or her readers to believe that literary hero A thinks that literary hero B intends to do something. And the same level of minimum skills are required for the development of science, since doing, science, since doing a scientific task requires asking whether the world could exist otherwise and going beyond the level of sensory experience and then asking someone else to do the same. Moreover, the same minimum level of intentionality is required in order for one to be able to believe in, in, in a religious system. So in general, the emergence of intentionality 
um, is an epiphenomenon of the relationship between the cognitive capacities of primates, including humans, and the dimensions of the cerebral neocortex. Um, the neocortex is a layer about six millimeters think, thick that surrounds the entire reptilian brain and is present in all mammals. So in mammals, this envelope ranges from 10 to 40% of the total brain mass. In humans, it can reach up to 80% of the brain mass. And the neocortex is the thinking part of the brain. Um, so during the evolution of uh, biological species, uh, the enlargement of the primate brain uh, occurred uh, mainly at the front of the skull where the frontal lobe is located. And uh, uh, according to numerous uh, clinical studies, the, the um, uh, dimensions of the human frontal lobe are correlated with superior intelligence, which is the most important elements of superior, uh, the most important element of superiority over anthropomorphic ape, apes. So in humans, um, we have this, the, the, this biological underpinning um, for the development of higher orders of intentionality. So the, the levels of intentionality, let's say, are, as I said, 0, 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5, and 6, and so on. But it's very, very rare uh, for, um, for humans um, to, to ascend to level to orders of intentionality above the fifth. Um, uh, so, for instance, in order, as I said before, for someone to be able intellectually uh, to understand um, uh, a religious system, one needs uh, to have acquired at least um, uh, uh, fourth order intentionality. And in order for someone to be able to create a religious system, uh, one has to have acquired at least fifth order intentionality. That's why uh, it is such a rare phenomenon uh, to see very successful uh, religious leaders, founders of religions, um, and, 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 and good fiction writers, of course. So in this way, I would like to give a very sketchy and brief uh, summary of contemporary philosophical and neurobiological research regarding the development of consciousness and the orders of intentionality. And I, I apologize if I have spoken for too long, no, but no. I wanted just to, to give a, 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 the, the, the overall picture. No, no, this makes sense. And thank you very much for sharing. Uh, and again, I read it in the book and it makes sense. What do you think, Vance? Does this make sense to you? Do you have a question? What is your intentionality towards this? <laughs> well, what I was thinking is uh, not only the chain of knowing that the person knowing that the person knowing that the person knowing, but the structure of the relationships between these people and their thoughts probably matters too because I, I kind of envisioned a network. Like if, if I am studying philosophy, Greek philosophy, for example, there are so many chains between the different philosophers that built on each other. That's kind of a linear chain, but sometimes it branches out, right? Um, from, yeah, from Plato, you know, there, there are many different philosophers that took his, uh, his, his basic thoughts 
even if they said they were basically following Plato and uh, adding significant things to them. So, yeah, it may it makes sense. But uh, there's another aspect I was wondering about, which is can consciousness connect into sources of knowledge beyond just what the senses are informing it? That's a big question there. Uh, indeed. And uh, uh, this, uh, this is the element of, of uh, even transcendence, in fact, which can be approached and studies and studied both in, in, uh, in religious and non-religious terms, because transcendence in, in its uh, most general and abstract then approach is, is uh, equivalent to perfection. Um, so this, I would say that brings us into the realm of, of knowledge itself. And, um, therefore we have to see what is the meaning, first of all, of the term knowledge, uh, in order to be able to see if there are levels of and qualities of knowledge that transcend uh, 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 the level of, uh, of, of sensory sources. So by the term knowledge, uh, we can mean, um, as far as philosophy is concerned, four things. So first definition of knowledge, let's say, um, knowledge from, firstly, knowledge means uh, the mental action through which an object is recognized as an object of consciousness. So from this perspective, to know something means to make it mine, to have access in it, to transform it from an object of the external world into an object of consciousness. The second definition is that by, is that knowledge means the mental action through which consciousness conceives the substance of its object. So according to, to, from, from the perspective of this definition, to know something is not just to transform it into an object of consciousness, but also to be able to understand its substance, namely the, the material from which it is uh, composed. The third definition of knowledge is that uh, um, knowledge refers to the object whose image or idea is contained in, uh, in, in consciousness. So in this case, to know something means to form a mental representation of it and to transform it into or to, to approach it if, it, if it is already transformed in this way, to approach it in terms of conceptual thinking. And the fourth definition of knowledge is that uh, knowledge refers to, to that conscious content which is identified with the substance 
of the object of knowledge. And in this case, uh, knowledge implies a, a, a type of unity or identification between the knower and the known. Um, therefore, the term knowledge can be, broadly speaking, construed as a firm consideration of an object as something that corresponds to reality. And in this case, we can identify, following, for instance, Plato, um, four levels and four types of knowledge. Uh, the most elementary one is, is belief. Uh, belief means that one accepts something as real, even though the claim about its reality is neither based on experience nor on logical, nor on logical proof. And furthermore, belief means that one has merely formed an opinion uh, by remaining focused on the appearance of things. The second level of knowledge is empirical knowledge. Uh, empirical knowledge is a form of knowledge that is provided by the senses. Um, it, its object uh, may be inside or outside us, uh, so that depending on the position of its object, empirical knowledge is distinguished into internal experience and external experience. And um, knowledge plays the central role in, in the philosophical school of empiricism, uh, pioneered and represented by such philosophers as Francis Bacon, David Hume, John Locke, and Robert Boyle. Um, then the third kind of knowledge uh, is logical knowledge. Uh, logical knowledge is a form of knowledge that derives from the rational faculty of consciousness and it is characterized by indisputable and logically grounded truths, namely judgments about the reality of things. Um, in this case, uh, we do not just process uh, empirical data, but we process them according to rules of correct reasoning. And therefore, we form concepts. Uh, by the term concept, we mean the set of all predicates of a thing or of a set of conspecific things that express the, the substance of the given thing. Uh, and therefore, uh, we can, through, through conceptual thinking, uh, we can uh, form arguments about the truth or the fallacy uh, of theories, when we can in general theorize. Uh, and through the process of abstraction, um, we can uh, develop uh, concepts of uh, higher level of generality. Um, so apart from this um, uh, third kind of knowledge, uh, which is logical knowledge, uh, there is also intuition. Um, 
intuition-like instinct, instinct uh, manifests itself as a direct and condensed logical conception of objects and simultaneously as a system of accumulated experiences whose origin tends to become unconscious. So by the term intuition, we mean that consciousness conceives a truth, uh, namely it formulates a judgment about the reality of an object according to a process of conscious processing that starts from a minimum empirical or logical datum and rises to a whole abstract system with which consciousness realizes that it is connected or to which consciousness realizes that it belongs. And there are three different varieties of intuition. First, sensus or psychological intuition. Uh, secondly, logical intuition. And thirdly, metaphysical intuition. Uh, a characteristic type of sensus or psychological intuition is Henri Bergson's conception of intuition. A characteristic type of logical intuition is, is uh, Edmund Husserl's conception of intuition. And a characteristic type of metaphysical intuition is the Neoplatonic concept of ecstasy. So in this way, we can map the different kinds and qualities of knowledge uh, without limiting oneself um, to uh, sensory uh, knowledge, namely to, to, to mere basic experience. Well said, and thank you. Yeah, thank you for that. And uh, again, for the audience, uh, his book uh, approaches from uh, various ways. Uh, from It's a scientific approach, mathematical, there's metaphysical, all to sort of uh, kind of give us a uh, reorientation of esotericism today in the 21st century, in 2023. See the value of these scientists and these mystics and these philosophers to give us a sort of a uh, launching pad for the future. So it, it, in that way, it is a very important book. But one of the themes in your book, Nicholas, is to, again, bringing back uh, reorienting and realigning as in these uh, this age of transition, this age of Hermes, as I call it. And, and that is Freemasonry, kind of getting it back on track. But I guess before we come perhaps to the issues and the solutions, uh, what is Freemasonry to you? Hmm. Um, this is this this question uh, should be easier than it actually <laughs> is. <laughs> yeah, famous last words. <laughs> um, uh, I could. I should first of all um, uh, acknowledge uh, my mentor. My, and my mentor's work uh, regarding the my conception of Freemasonry, um, I have the the privilege and the pleasure um, to be a, a student uh, for many years now of a distinguished philosopher and Freemason, Giuliano Di Bernardo. Um, he's based in Italy, and he has served uh, in uh, senior. Masonic offices. He has. He had, he had been. Um, he was. He was the um, 
Grandmaster of the Grande Oriente d'Italia, the Grand Orient of Italy, from 1990 to 1993, and he was the founder and Grandmaster of the Gran Loggia Regolare d'Italia from 1993 to 2002, uh, from which he also left to pursue a, a different esoteric path through the Academy of the Illuminati in Rome and the Dignity Order, which is legally founded in, in, in Austria, but it is based in uh, but it is based in um, in Italy as well. So I could say that um, uh, from uh, the research work that I have conducted in the field of uh, uh, the philosophy of Freemasonry uh, based on uh, the writings and the teachings and my cooperation with uh, Professor and then brother uh, Giuliano Di Bernardo, I, I approached Freemasonry in a very specific way. And this is in terms of philosophical anthropology. Uh, so my conception of Freemasonry is that Freemasonry is, first of all, uh, and primarily, um, a system of philosophical anthropology, a, a model and a method of creating human beings and societies uh, on the basis of uh, specific universal ethical principles, um, which as Giuliano Di Bernardo has defined them are freedom, tolerance, brotherhood, transcendence, and initiatory secret. And now we come to uh, the second level of this definition, which is to understand um, those five principles, namely freedom, tolerance, brotherhood, transcendence, and initiatory secrets on, on, on an initiatory secret on, on which um, the philosophical anthropology of Freemasonry is based. Uh, here again, um, we can see um, various uh, distinctions between um, religious, secular, exclusive, non-exclusive, mystical, and purely regulatory approaches to, to, to these five concepts. Uh, this is a, a very rich debate but before entering into it and expressing uh, my views regarding this issue, I would like to say that I find uh, really disappointing and deplorable the fact that um, uh, today um, uh, there are there is a. a, a Huge, there is huge confusion regarding uh, the definition uh, of Freemasonry, and uh, indeed, um, one could say that if we could ask all the Masons of the world, past and present, what Freemasonry is, we would have, as Giuliano Di Bernardo has pointed out, an indefinite series of, of meanings each one different from the others and some in clear contradiction. Um, so 
it's it's uh, like saying that someone is a Freemason, but he cannot uh, commit to any standard definition. So it's like saying that I am a Mason, but I don't know what Freemasonry is. <laughs> um, and um, uh, my, my proposal, uh, following again Giuliano Di Bernardo's work, uh, which we we have we we pursue a, a, a long and and very complicated and ambitious research project project in in the context of the dignity order, we we try to uh, define in a very clear and systematic way uh, Freemasonry as a philosophical anthropology, which is based uh, on uh, on uh, a precise practical philosophy um, and uh, on the on on uh, uh, the five uh, universal ethical pre principles that I, I mentioned earlier uh, defining them uh, also in a very specific way and understanding uh, transcendence which is a very um, intriguing term as perfection not as anything uh, more specific than that, because in this way we can become inclusive, uh, namely including both uh, secular and non-secular or religious uh, uh, persons. So if we understand transcendence as um, a process that leads you from um, uh, a certain existential state to a higher and better one, then this is enough. And within and, for, and from this perspective and within this context, we can accommodate both uh, religious and non-religious persons within uh, within a Freemasonic project. Furthermore, by um, uh, the great architect of the universe, one can understand um, this archetype of transcendence rather than uh, anything with more religious connotations. Uh, even um, um, uh, for instance, uh, English Freemasonry of the of the 18th century uh, by um, endorsing a tolerant Yet religious approach to the great architect of the universe has generated a lot of problems because it um, indirectly urges one uh, to to understand the great architect of the universe in a quasi-religious or supra-religious way, and and therefore one can um, uh, can be accused or criticized of, of promoting um, a specific religious attitude. So I would like to say that um, uh, our perspective uh, is that um, we should start from the awareness uh, that um, uh, human society and human civilization in general uh, at the most basic level, uh, consists of a system of practical philosophy and of constitutive and regulatory rules. Um, 
in this these are the the keys um that we propose and use in order to um uh, create um an operational and inclusive um uh, approach and definition uh, of freemasonry so in order to understand this let me for a moment explain the tradition from the natural sciences to the social sciences because this tra this transition is an upward moving process known as emergentism from the from the verb emerge um social reality is is constructed by humanity through constitutive rules based on constitutive rules um language and the collective self social reality has a dual ontology one that is visible observable made up of objects from the external world such as houses monuments and money and the other is invisible made up for instance of housing rules and regulations the aesthetics of most of monuments and the significance of money so in order to understand what do we mean by the terms visible and invisible reality visible masters and invisible masters uh, we have to understand this classification we have constitutive rules at the core of this distinction and this constitutive rules together with language and collective self create the social the dual ontology of the social reality so by visible we mean as i said things like a house the corresponding invisible aspect of the house is the housing regulation a visible an object of visible reality is money an object the corresponding object of the invisible reality is the significance of money a, a, a visible an object of the visible reality is a monument an object of the the corresponding object of the invisible reality is the aesthetics of monuments so when we say invisible reality and invisible masters we don't mean anything exotic or or uh, or um, um superficial we mean something very important which is the which is part of the dual ontology of social reality and specifically we mean ideas and institutions so social reality the reality that the human being creates and is part of has a dual ontology it has two natures the visible nature which i repeat consists of observable objects from the external world and it has a second nature which is the invisible nature and consists of uh institutions and ideas and we have two qualities again of mastership 
and two um, uh, kinds of masters. The masters of the visible aspect of society or the visible nature of society and the masters of the invisible uh, nature or aspect of society, namely the masters of, of, of institutions and ideas, uh, which are also things, things of the real world. Uh, so all these um, uh, thoughts provide an analytical context within which Freemasonry and esotericism in general can be studied in a rigorous and systematic way and can be elucidated and we can avoid uh, confusion and create um, a regulatory and non-exclusivist uh, conception and structure of Freemasonry which can accommodate all kinds of different persons regarding their choices beyond that. And therefore, we give a new, very rich meaning to the value of tolerance. That's really well said, and thank you for that. Yes, uh, and it reminds me that perhaps, and please correct me if I'm wrong or I'm way off base, but yeah, I think decentralization doesn't help because like the Gnostics of all who were spread out in lodges, as academics have noticed, that's great for individuality. It's great for tolerance because you can find your own. Uh, if this little group doesn't work, you move to the other little group until you find the what works for your spiritual needs or your cultural needs, etc. But being decentralized also means that you cannot answer those. Uh, well, it brings confusion and you can't answer those who attempt to... Uh, to attempt to uh say what you are who is so and it, you don't have the power to sort of answer that and you don't have uh something that's coded so that seems to be something that's always an issue with freemasonry because it's so decentralized and it can get defined or misdefined if you would uh would you say that's a problem or what is and would you say what you just talked about nicholas is that the the main crisis of freemasonry or what are some of the other issues i i very much agree with what you have said and um indeed i believe that we can have uh, a more rigorous conception without compromising uh, the element of tolerance, of course, but mm -hmm. tolerance should not um, uh, take degenerate forms um, and and uh, lead to um, uh, uh, and, and deprive a, a, a Freemason of a, of a mental focus. And um, th th things get worse if uh, we bear in mind uh, the. Uh, broader tendency of uh, postmodernism uh, to uh, deny any element of uh, of ontology and even epistemology, namely any debate about um, uh, the pursuit of truth. So, it, uh, unfortunately, this uh, this postmodern mentality has 
penetrated deeply into Freemasonry, and it has um, it has been combined with uh, uh, a British and broader tradition of skepticism, which tends to relativize and ultimately uh, deconstruct almost everything, uh, and even the very pursuit of truth and the very pursuit of rigor, of, of, of cognitive rigor. And uh, in this way, uh, uh, several uh, esoteric institutions uh, run the risk of, uh, of uh, becoming like Hieronymus Bosch's uh, <laughs> ship of fools. <laughs> And um, this this is uh, this is a degenerate conception of, of of tolerance and inclusiveness because this this um, uh, this is a variety of, of nihilism and extreme relativism, uh, which uh, which is uh, is 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 inconsistent and and the first uh, rather obvious inconsistency of of skepticism is that skepticism tries in, in, a, in a rational way to prove that um, reason has no value, uh, which, which is an obvious, uh, I think, an obvious contradiction. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Uh, furthermore, uh, I would say that uh, this situation gets worse uh, if we bear in mind that um, several Freemasonic institutions around the world have tried to address it, not in a substantive way, but in a superficial managerial way um, through a democratic system of organization, um, which consists in, in uh, uh, electoral processes and political intrigues in order to get someone elected as the worshipful master for lodges or, or, or as the grandmaster. And uh, this has um, brought politics and, uh, and profane practices uh, uh, into the very core, into the very existential core of, of initiatory systems. And, and this, in my opinion, is, is a deplorable, de degenerate situation. Mm, very interesting. And what about the other side of the coin and let me know if i'm wrong on this nicholas but what about the idea of uh reductionistic materialism and scientism do you think that has affected freemasonry because as your book argues it's so imperative yeah we don't want to be as you said uh relativistic and anything goes but uh we want to live a metaphysical life a symbolical life a myth understand the power of myth and uh mysticism in ancient times do you feel uh scientism and reductionism has also hurt freemasonry oh yes indeed because um uh this is again a i would dare to say degenerate form of religion masqueraded as science because it, it tries to, to create uh, not, genuine, not, not a genuine type of, of scientific consciousness, uh, but to transform uh, scientists into a kind of priesthood. And um, this uh, uh, entails uh, 
very tragic contradictions uh, because um, it uh, it tends to to undermine um, the possibilities of uh, consciousness expansion and uh, narrow down consciousness in a uh, uh, in in a quasi-religious way, uh, pretending to be uh, science. And that's, yeah, really well said, and I would agree with you, Nicholas. I think uh, you hit it on the head. It really is nihilism. In a way, it's this strange death cult or death thrust to destroy oh, things. Mm-hmm. And uh, I understand it's, uh, you and I have talked about the value of anarchism as a movement, but this is far worse. This is a uh, yeah, it's something insidious that has infected uh, Western man. And uh, we definitely, as you said, I think your solutions are right. Uh, definition, uh, an interior life, an understanding of consciousness. It is a real thing. Uh, and other thing else, what do you think, Vance? Uh, anything uh, that Freemasonry should address? Well, yeah, I was I was wondering, uh, first, Nicholas, um, when you uh, use the term religion, could you uh, flesh that out a little bit for us? I mean, what exactly is the nature of our religious approach? Um, this is this is another very fascinating issue um, because um, I, I and, and I would like to seize this opportunity to say why I'm so much interested in religion. Um, uh, religion, uh, as I say it. Um, uh, is based on uh, on uh, three major uh, uh, principles, uh, which um, I could define as um, first of all a uh, a principle of immortality. Um, then we, apart from the principle of immortality, namely uh, the the belief. Uh, and the dogma of the of the uh, immortal of the existence of an immortal soul within a a, a mortal body, uh, which is one of the three basic uh, principles of the concept of religion. Apart from uh, immortality, we have metaphysics, and we can have mysticism. And I say we can have mysticism because it's uh, not uh, not every religious aspect. Uh, subscribes to to mysticism. Uh, so um, the conceptual tools, in general, though the conceptual tools of of religion, are these three: immortality, metaphysics, and and mysticism. Um, what I find very important um, is that um, the the study of religion in in the context of the theory of revolution. Uh, indicates that um, in order for a being to be able to develop and first of all to understand religion, um, uh, it has to have acquired, as I said in in the beginning of our discussion, a very high level of intentionality. So um, the development of religion by the human beings is the most impressive manifestation of the intellectual capacity of the human being. And uh, from this perspective, uh, I am deeply concerned with religion 
uh, not from the perspective of God, but from the perspective of humanity. Uh, I I see uh, religion as as a as a miraculous manifestation of the intellectual capacity of the human being, um, and um, therefore uh, the ability to conceive several possibilities and a vision of transcendence, no matter what that transcendence may specifically imply, are proofs of the uh, unique and exclusive ontological capacity of the human being. Um, and I, I see religion as a religious um, anthropology, as I see ideology as a non-religious anthropology, but both these anthropologists, both, both of these anthropologies um, are very important as far as the study of the human being um, is concerned. And that's why um, there is a common thread uh, 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 uniting all these uh, cultural phenomena, um, religious, religion, esotericism, and ideology. And this common thread that unites them is, first of all, the unique and exclusive capacity of the human being to achieve a very high level of intentionality and impose then the intentionality of human consciousness on the world and restructure the world according to the intentionality of consciousness. And uh, one can see that religion, esotericism, and ideology are the three main ways through which Homo sapiens uh, pursues one's happiness and by happiness i mean uh something very basic yet very important and and possibly uh, world changing i mean the attempt uh to unite a vision of perfection with the actual state of affairs by imposing the intentionality of human consciousness on the reality of the world. Well, we are at the end of this uh, fascinating interview, engaging talk. Uh, this will, as I always say, this will be on the show notes, but where for those listening on audio or listening on audio on YouTube, where can people find out more about you, Nicholas? And where do you want to redirect them if they want to get purchase your book or anything else you want to share with the audience? First of all, uh, everyone is welcome to to contact me through you through the Air and Gnostic Radio. This would be an honor for me. Uh, furthermore, um, I can uh, be contacted uh, through two. Uh, websites. Uh, the one is um, 
mprsmgrandlodge.net. Uh, and the other is the Dignity Order, uh, where I serve under Grandmaster Giuliano Di Bernardo, which is Dignity Order, uh, as, as you listen it, dignity, www.dignityorder.com. Wonderful. Well, again, this will be on the show notes, so check it out. And yes, if you have any questions for Nicholas, uh, reach out to me here at the, the godabovegod.com or some of you, we talk on Facebook or we talk on Twitter, just reach out to me. I try to make myself as available as possible. Or for those of you in the Finding Hermes program, you can go just talk to me on the Discord and I will be happy to relate it to Nicholas. But we are at the end. Uh, Vance, thank you very much for uh, keeping us company. Oh, it's a great form of keeping company, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) A good mental workout and uh, many wonderful things are said today. I agree. I agree. Well, Nicholas, yes, as always, we appreciate your time, your work, and we really appreciate what you are doing to move the needle forward to uh, better mankind before we end up, yeah, uh, less than apes. We'll end up, like again, like Plato's bipedal birds. And as uh, Diogenes did, he put out, uh, he stood in front of the academy with a, a dead chicken plucked and said, Hello, Plato. Behold, Plato's man to mock him. But I don't, you're doing great work so we don't end up like the chicken. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you very much, both of you. I'm grateful to both of you. Thank you. And there you have it, you veterans of a thousand psychic wars. Nicholas always delivers the gnosis and hopefully restores the Freemasons. In our second part, Nicholas will define what exactly is mysticism. Nicholas will explain the Freemason view of God slash the architect. He'll reveal whether Freemasonry can be considered a religion and the benefits Gnosticism provides on the modern world. He'll talk about Pico de Mirandola and humanism in general, as well as his dedicated Order of the Illuminati. I enjoyed it when he discusses favorite philosophers and why. And we'll talk about much more. So please become a member for the full illumination. It's only $6.99 a month for AB Prime or $4.99 at Red Circle or whatever you want to pledge on Patreon. You'll get access to my private Facebook group and Discord channel for AB Prime members and higher level Patreons. If you find value in this content, please help grow this Red Bill Cafeteria. Your help can be in the form of a one-time donation on Stripe or the US Mail or crypto. There is also a link on the show notes if you want to leave a tip via Stripe, or you can tip on YouTube. There's always a merch store and an Amazon wish list. And consider the Finding Hermes program where we have monthly exclusive meetings and presentations with many past guests hanging out there for high-octane gnosis. I also have a one-on-one tier if you want to talk every month about Gnosticism or other heresies, or discuss healing modalities or addiction recovery. If you need help with any of these choices, just message my ass. I'm always here to help, and I truly appreciate your help. Thanks for being here, 
Thanks for being yourself, your true self, here in the desert of the real. Hello and goodbye, as always. 